All right, so look, it's another episode of Film Streak, and I'm your host, Rob, and every episode here on Film Streak, I look at some movies that uh, that I haven't seen before, and sometimes they're new movies, sometimes they're much older movies, uh, things that I just never got around to seeing, or maybe I just put off or just ignored, or something that was just kind of randomly recommended to me, maybe. You know, we all get movies like that. There's so many movies out there, and... I love movies. I love to watch movies, kind of think about it, break it down a little bit, understand like what the director or the filmmakers were trying to do, all that kind of stuff. So here's where I can talk about that. And, um, you know, if you have some of these films that you've seen and maybe you have a different take on it, or maybe you, one of these is your favorite film, or, you know what, even if you have a film that, uh, I haven't talked about and maybe you have it as a suggestion, go ahead, send it to me. Send that to comments at filmstreak.com. And uh, maybe we'll uh, talk about it on the show here. So in the meantime, want to pick up where we left off. Filmstreak, number 150. This is The Changeling. Within this old house live two residents. One of them is John Russell, composer, professor. The other has been dead for over 70 years. Claire, I'd like to talk to you about the house. Did you die in this house? How did you die? Whatever it is, it's trying desperately to communicate. What is it in that house, Claire? What is it doing? Why is it trying to reach me? It's a hand. something of the senators he wants it back This is a movie from 1980 starring George C. Scott uh, as a, as our main character here. And, you know, this is a film that uh, I'd seen a few things. I'd seen it featured in a few, um, like, all-time favorite horror movies or haunted house movies. And, uh, you know, I just... Uh, I. I have a little bit of a mix. I have mixed feelings about George C. Scott. Like I like a lot of things that he's done. And yet this being a horror movie, I, I, it's almost like, it's almost like seeing a top tier actor in kind of a B level horror movie, uh, or at least that was the expectation. That's kind of how I've always seen this film. And it's not necessarily the case. You know, there's a lot, here to appreciate, especially in terms of the special effects. Now, I'll break down the premise of the story. It's somewhat, somewhat simple, but uh, you know, George C. Scott plays a professor who is, um, you know, at the very beginning of the film. So, hey, it's not really a spoiler. At the very beginning of the film, his wife and daughter are killed in a in an auto accident, and he's witness to it. He's actually there when it happens, and it, of course, it's naturally intensely traumatizing and so we fast forward to a little time after he's trying to kind of pick up the pieces and keep moving with his life 
and he ends up staying at this very big kind of uh, old, old, I don't know, Victorian style house or whatever. It's like a three story home. And, uh, you know, things start happening in the house. And at first it seems just a little odd and maybe even something that's in his imagination, but he starts to really witness some, some really unusual things happening. And then the film kind of turns into a, a little bit of a detective story where he tries to piece together what is he seeing and why is it happening? And maybe some of the history of the house itself and, what you know what things might have happened there in the past and so that's kind of an interesting take because i really thought this was a film more about grief and the ghost of his daughter or his family his wife and daughter haunting him or, or just you know not wanting to let him go so that was always my expectation and now you know having seen the film it's not that which is really interesting uh it's it's a little bit of like a couple of movies in one you know, it's about a man who's dealing with grief and trauma and loss. And at the same time, it's about a man trying to kind of reconcile a lot of those feelings with solving the mystery of what might have happened in this house and the family that lived there and the people that were involved. So in that sense, uh, it, it's kind of a, an intriguing premise. Um, I do think now it's like this story has kind of probably been told in several different ways over the years. Um, but what stands out to me still is the level of practical special effects with the house and things that happen in the house and, you know, some objects that are kind of, uh, animated objects, things that are moving and, and, you know, flying across the room and doors that are, you know, it's just a lot of things that I, I can't say this is the first film that ever did it, but you know, for 1980, I feel like the level of complexity and the trickery that's involved is uh, it's, it stands out. So in that way, it's, it's kind of impressive. And uh, I can understand why this really has a little bit of a place in the horror genre in terms of the type of story it tried to tell and the effects and the, the kind of wizardry that was done to make it happen. So, you know, that's a, that's a recommendation for me. Now, the thing that did kind of cross my mind is that this movie came out in 1980 and you know, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like this was right on the heels of The Shining. If I remember right, that came out right around the same time. Um, now, I know they were both in 1980. I don't remember what exactly, you know, like what time of the year. But there are little elements of both of these films that cross over into each other, if I could put it that way. You know, um, one is a man on his own dealing with the loss of his family. And the other one is a man feeling alone in amongst his family. And both take place in this house where some really bad shit happened in the past. I, I take it back. One's in a hotel, one's in a house. You get the idea though. So now if you look at it in that context, to me, to my eyes, for my money, the shining stands far and above the changeling. But it, it, this at least gives you a little bit of a reference of the type of movie this is, where the house itself or the location is a main character, because this really, really kind of excels at that. And so now, keeping that in mind, I want to move forward a little bit. We're going to jump a little bit ahead, but I want to get to 151 on Film Street, The House of the Devil. Tell you like it. I love it. It's perfect. About the deposit, I'll agree to waive all the deposit stuff. You just give me the first month's down, we'll call it a day, all right? It's hard coming up with all that money, isn't it? Uh, it's gonna work out. You're not the one with $84 in a bank account and a check to write on Monday. You know what you should do. Hi. I'm calling in regards to the babysitter flyer posted outside my dorm. Tonight's big eclipse is now well underway. I feel a little 
we're just dropping you out here like in the middle of wherever we are. You have to forgive me, Samantha, because I've not been completely honest. We're from the desert, you know. You see, we... We actually don't have a child. They lied to you. I know. Okay, I know you're right. But it's four hundred dollars. This equals first month's rent and then some, and all I have to do is sit inside and watch TV. This is huge. This one night changes everything for me. Now, this is a film by director, writer and director, Ty West, who lately has really kind of uh, really hit a wave of his films catching a lot more eyes, a lot more attraction. And, you know, I, I don't know if this was his first feature, but it's got some really impressive moments in it. And I'll break down the premise a little bit. Uh, this is from 2009. This is uh, it, it's set in 1983. So we're not too far off from the Changeling in terms of our period that we're in. But this is a, is a story about uh, two college students, one of them who is struggling with money, just can't make the rent, is dealing with a lot of stress over it. And she takes this job uh, to, to babysit. And she gets to the house, and it's actually a kind of a remote location. It's a big, big old home. And the man who is there to give her the job, he kind of reveals like he wasn't entirely truthful in the job posting. It's not really babysitting a child. It's actually caring for an older, uh, an older woman who we don't really see uh, at some point. And so already there, it it's like you start to feel like the characters are getting into a situation that's not really... Not really ideal. There's a lot that seems shady about it. But when you're hard up for money, you're struggling, uh, you know, sometimes you got you to gotta do what you got to do. So there's a little bit of attitude there. And, and both of them really kind of inhabit that 80s, early 80s, mid 80s vibe, uh, even down to the look. I mean, the, a lot of this film does play and feels like it might have come from the 80s. And so that even goes to some of the editing, some of the camera work, even the credits, you know, the, it does play like of that period, which I, I gotta admit, like if Ty West, like some of the films he's done, that they go all in. It feels like uh, authentic to whatever era or genre that it's supposed to kind of be in quote unquote. And, uh, so in that way, I feel like this is a really solid effort. You know, it's, it really feels like a, uh, a well thought out film. You know, the, the place that I, I, I kind of give it a little bit of a knock is the story feels a little, a little bit like derivative, like, uh, like maybe I've seen this in a couple of different ways in the past. So on the whole though, it does start to feel like it, it goes into some territory where you find the tropes start to show themselves. You know, this character is roped into the situation because they feel like they have to, and they can't find a way out. And then all of a sudden they're in danger. And then all of a sudden there's like a, a bigger picture to it. And then all of a sudden, you know, blood and, and gore are everywhere. And that's not to say that there's not a formula, but um, I just feel like some parts of this film I've seen in other places. And, uh, and yet 
the thing I like about this is that it it's just constructed in a way that feels a little bit different. Feels maybe a little bit uh, fresh. You know, there are moments in this film that are just completely out of left field. And they catch you and they just drop like a hammer. And without saying too much, um, because those kind of moments I always appreciate when you experience them without any forewarning. So just know that there are moments in this film where you will not be ready for what happens. It's just shocking and unsettling and immediately disturbing. And, uh, and yet they're far and few between. So it's not a movie full of that, which is where, where the genius sometimes can be is the, the constructing of a, of a sequence or even the entire film where there's not a lot that seems to happen. It almost borders on mundane. You know, when Megan gets into the house and she's just kind of just biding her time, just, you know, in the, in the idea that she's caring for an older person that's upstairs that we don't actually see, you know, the idea that, well, she's just going to hang out here and just wait until it's time to go home. You know, it does kind of lull you into a sense of like, oh, there's really not much happening here. Then a big moment happens, and it's not just a big moment, but it's a big, horrifying moment. And now you expect it just to all start cascading, like a chain reaction, like, okay, now the next thing. Now the, and then it doesn't. It, it starts to pull back. And you, it's almost, it's unsettling because you just don't know what's going to happen next or when it's going to happen next. And this film at least makes the effort to ramp those up in in waves and by the time you get to kind of the end game here like what the ultimate goal of the story is we're so far removed from where we started and yet it feels like well of course we would have gotten here so i'll just say this uh, without spoiling too much the title of the film the house of the devil is pretty apt when you get to where this film gets to just leave it at that okay but I'll say it's a recommendation, especially if you're looking for something that is pretty is, is trying really hard to recreate and to land itself in that era of the early mid 80s. It really feels like it. I mean, there's just something about it. There's like a texture. There's a, 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 a feel to it that I, I really thought this film must have come out way earlier than 2009. All right, so that's the House of the Devil. Now, let's keep it moving. All right, so these next two, uh, I feel like they probably come as a pair at this point, even though they're very different films, and I have very different kind of uh, views on them. So I'll try and talk about them separately if I can, but let's get to this. This is 152. This is Don't Breathe. Your lips look sore. That's how you're making your cash out there? <laughs> What do you say you and I move away from mom together? It's a promise. You're leaving? Yeah, as soon as I have the money. When are you coming back? Never. Yo, I got our ticket out of here. Rumor is this guy is sitting on at least 300K. Boom! That's her guy. Wait, is he blind? We messed up to rob a blind guy, isn't it? Just because he's blind don't mean he's insane, bro. Money's probably in there. Who's there? Stay right there. How many of you are there? Just me, man, all right? Just let me go, please.
wanna see what I see. Okay, so this is a film by writer and director Fede Alvarez, who did uh, an Evil Dead remake before this, and then after this did uh, The Girl in the Spider's Web. And out of those three films, let's say, this is probably the strongest, at least in terms of the premise and in terms of the execution. You know, the premise of this film is there are three young people... uh, they, they, they're just, they live in Detroit, times are tough, money's tight, or money's non-existent, and they're trying to find some ways to get over, and one of those ways is they're breaking into homes and stealing, you know, they're, they're pulling, pulling little jobs here, and, you know, one of those, uh, one of the people in this group, um, played by Dylan Minnette, he's the one that kind of has the connection to security codes and keys and properties that have money that are connected. So he is Alex. He gets together with his crew. It's uh, Money and Rocky. And Rocky is played by Jane Levy, who was in the Evil Dead remake just a a year or two earlier, I think. And um, I'll say this much, you know, Jane Levy has a way of playing just absolute terror that works to me it, it's it sells it i mean it is effective and in this movie there's so much that she does all of them do really but she specifically really nails that kind of silent horror because a lot of this film is played in silence and yeah, and then that leads to the title. The title is Don't Breathe because the house they break into, the old man that lives in the house, is blind. And as they get into the house and they realize that the man is not only there and aware of them, but he's super effective at finding them. Then it becomes a game of cat and mouse in this house where they won't leave until they have what they want, which is all his money. And, of course, he doesn't want them there. And up to a certain point in the story, this is a whole different movie. It's a movie about a man who's just put upon, who is struggling, who is blind, who lives on his own, who just wants to be left alone. And these three kids that are breaking into his house to steal all this shit. That's the movie. And if that were the movie, that would probably be enough. (laughs) I mean, it's more of a crime thriller at that point. But if that were the movie, fine, let's do that. I'll be there to see that movie. There's a point where Rocky breaks into the basement or some other area of the house and she finds a woman tied up. And she finds all this other stuff in the house. And then we're off. It becomes a whole different movie now. Our old blind man, who we thought was the victim here, no, no, sir. <laughs> He's got his own thing going on. And that's why he doesn't want people in his house. And so as the, the three characters try to find their way in and around this guy and still get their money and still not get killed because the guy is also a former Navy SEAL and very adept at taking people out, even though he can't see. You know, there's even a sequence in the film where it's played... I you have to presume like in total darkness because that was the one thing that kind of tripped me up for a second is when they break into the house, there are lights on in the house. And if our main character here is blind, um, why does he have lights on? Why are there even light bulbs? Right now I get it. It's a little bit of a, you know, it's, it's a storytelling device for the, for the audience to see, 
right? Because we're dealing with a visual medium. But at some point, the character turns the lights off. And so you're almost like, oh, wait, are the lights supposed to be on? On purpose? And when the lights turn off, we still see the film. And yet it's played in this kind of like uh, pseudo night vision style, uh, the, the way it's filmed. And it reminds me in a way of, um, you know, remember that sequence at the end of The Science of the Lambs where Clarice is in the basement with um, James Gum and he pulls out the night vision goggles and she can't see anything. So she's just like waving around in the dark, like trying to find her way. That's what this plays like. It's like a whole sequence like that. And that is super effective. And I really thought that was going to be a thing that they were going to continue and try and really capitalize on. And yet the fact that, oh, well, no, the lights come back on at some point and the characters can kind of see around. Uh, I, I get it. It's a favor to the audience. Like, hey, we're not going to make you watch the whole movie like this. But at the same time, that was the movie that was that part of the movie was maybe the most terrifying because I think we all know that feeling of fumbling around in our house or even in a strange environment in the dark. And you know how kind of uh, maybe not scary, but you know how disorienting it can be. And so then to imagine, oh, but there's someone also in this space with you that is trying to kill you. Well, then it becomes horrifying. And so I, I feel like that's a real kind of uh, visceral reaction that, that I had to it. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I get this now. And so little things like that are really effective. Now, the the big twist in the story where we find out, oh, this guy has this whole other situation going on in his basement. He's He's got a woman tied up in the basement because he has impregnated her because that is the woman who killed his daughter. I, I, I think it was like in an accident. So it wasn't an intentional thing, but still. The twisted kind of mind that would say, okay, well, this person took my daughter, but now they're going to give me a new daughter. What? <laughs> what are you doing? That's really where the movie takes it to a different level. And now we're off into a whole different territory the best I can say is that this film really uses the premise to an effective degree. I mean, the amount of kind of the amount of like sneaking around and working in the dark and in silence is really effective. And it, it does have those moments where you just kind of hold your breath as you're waiting to see what's about to happen. How is this character going to get out of this? Or how, how is this character going to find these kids? For me, their end, you're working it through in, in your mind as you're watching it. And I think that's a really effective way to, to create tension and suspense. So to me, this is a big recommendation. I, I, I really kind of wrote this off at some point as like, oh, this is just, you know, uh, someone being chased by a killer. Nope, it's not, that, not at all that kind of movie. And that's great. And so now we have to turn to the sequel. Film Streak 153. This is Don't Breathe 2. Make it next time. You almost got me, didn't you, boy? We had a lot of fun today. I could take her again next week. No, home safe. <laughs> Shadow.
You're coming with us, kid. Get the girl! It's not me you need to be scared of, little girl. But the man standing next to you. Now, I don't know who he is, but I know who he's not. Should I tell her or you? He's gonna come for me. So the only thing that really stays in place, like from the original story, the original premise, is that we're dealing with the same old man, the same blind old man who didn't die at the end of the first movie. Spoilers. Sorry. But uh, instead, kind of relocated. And maybe he had a change of heart about what he was planning to do. But at the same time, his past is still following him. So here we have an instance where, similar to the first movie, there are some characters that want to get into this guy's house because they want something that's inside, and yet this guy is in their way. Now, what that thing is, that's a big difference, and that's a big surprise, and I don't necessarily want to tell you because... Well, you know what? I'll tell you. Because this movie, I'll just just get right to it. This movie's not as good as the first one. I don't think so. I I, I mean, it plays with, like I said, a similar premise, but the characters in it, I, I don't really have any... I can't relate to these characters in terms of I can't root for them. I wish I could. And I feel like the movie tries to get me on their side... But at the same time, when you find out, you know, here's here's how I can put it to you, is in Don't Breathe, the first movie, we have our assumptions about these characters, either the old blind man or the kids that are trying to break into his house, right? We already kind of, we, we start to build, project our own idea of who these people are and what their motivations are. And the old blind man, at first, he seems like the victim, these kids seem like the uh, the perpetrators, the thieves that are trying to take everything he has. And at some point, the film kind of changes those roles around, where the old man becomes the predator and the kids become the prey. And so when you have that flip, it switches your idea of who these characters are and why you would want to root for them and why you'd actively root against them now. And so in this film, I, I can appreciate that they tried to like do the reverse. So in this film, we know who the old man is now. We know what's happened in the first movie. We know a little bit about his past. And we don't know anything about the new, I say the kids, but the young people that are trying to get into his house. We don't know anything about them. We assume that they're thieves. And at some point, The film changes, right? Because we know our history now with the old man. We don't know anything about these people. And when we start to reveal more about who they are and what their motivations are, really, in particular, in relation to this story, the old man does become the victim here. I mean, he really is the one that is done wrong by these characters. And these characters, we turn out, or or we learn, are... Not very well intentioned. Yeah, they're there to take something from his house. 
And that's bad enough. But when we find out what they're there to take and what they're planning to do with it, oh, yeah, kill them all. Oh, man, go go to town. Go for it. <laughs> it, it now, I say it, it reverses the dynamic of the first film. And maybe that's just a way to, hey, let's just switch it up. Let's let's try and keep the audience on their toes. Good. I appreciate that. But still, it's like I can't forget everything the, the old man did in the first movie. Some of it, which is mighty unsavory. So uh, you almost asked me to kind of forget what happened in the first film. And that's really hard to do. So... That's where I feel like this tries to pull a, it tries to just zig instead of zag, but um, I don't really know that that works, given that we know some more. Now, if this were the first film, maybe that would be different. Or if this were just an entirely different film, you know, different characters, but same premise, maybe it would be just fine. I would understand like, oh, okay, I see what, you know, it's kind of clever what they're doing, whatever. But when you tie it to the first film, Ah, it just, it doesn't really, I don't know. To me, it doesn't hold together. And you know what? Let me just say shout out to Stephen Lang for really owning this role. Uh, You know, he's a guy who's been an actor for many years, for a long time. And I guess most famously, like people, most audiences probably know him from Avatar as Quaritch. But here, uh, he really takes a, a role that, uh, I mean, I feel like it's it could be pretty one note, and he, at least he gives it some dimension. He gives it some emotion that uh, it it really makes you at, at least in the first film it makes you conflicted about whether you understand this guy or not, or even if you whether you agree with this guy or not and what he's doing. And so. That's that's not necessarily an easy feat when he becomes tip, you know the typical bad guy, and yet you still try to have to understand like why he's doing what he's doing. So, big props to Stephen Lang getting some dues. I mean, he's got a franchise now. How about that? Also, hey, look, I just say the title "Don't Breathe." It totally applied to the first film. It doesn't really apply to this film. I I mean, there aren't those sequences where I, you could hear a pin drop and you don't want to move a muscle and you, you're just waiting to see what's about to happen. Here, there are some of those, like, there's like hints of that, but not as effective and not as, not as suspenseful. So it's just, it's just not as strong in, in those regards. So to me, this is probably, you know, I would say if you like the first film, you might pass on this. Now, if you're a completist, I get it. You just say, hey, you got to see it through. Go for it. But I would say you're probably just good with the first film. So just do that. All right. Now let's get to our next one here. This is, um, this is a really new one. I mean, very new to my understanding, but, um. This is 154 Barbarian. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. This is 476 Barbary, right? Yeah, I'm renting this place. No, I booked it a month ago. Are you sure you have the right place? Yeah. Who am I supposed to do? Why don't you come inside and we'll call these idiots. Why don't you just crash here? Oh, no. I don't know if you got a great look at this neighborhood, but I don't think you should be out there by yourself. It's dry and there's a lock on the door. By the way, I'm Keith. Tess. You take the bedroom and I'll sleep out here on the couch.
Ortiz? Now, all right, so here's a film that, uh, you know, I saw a trailer for it, and the trailer was one of those where it just shows, like, people reacting to the film, doesn't really show much of the film itself, and I thought, okay, well, I've seen this done a few times now. And that works sometimes. I mean, the other times I feel like it's just hype. And here is a movie that um, in some moments really kind of earns that. You know, it really earns like, oh, you scared the hell out of me. You shocked me. You disturbed me. And so let me let me break down the premise a little bit here. This is from writer and director Zach Kreger. Um, just came out this year, 2022. And um, stars Georgina Campbell, Bill Skarsgård, Justin Long. And I'll tell you that um, the premise here is really, it's a little hard to nail down in terms of uh, what exactly the story is. Only because it pulls a little bit of a psycho move. Where, you know, it starts as one film and it really invests you in that. Then it switches gears and becomes a whole different film. But to start, it's a story of a, a young woman who's in town. She's also in Detroit, in this dilapidated neighborhood. She's staying at this house that is, uh, she's basically rented it like an Airbnb. And uh, she gets to the house. It's raining. It's nighttime. She just wants to get in and get dry. And there's somebody in the house already. And the guy who's there you know, she's uh, naturally kind of nervous, kind of uh, unsure of what this, what is going on. But Bill Skarsgård plays it totally natural, totally innocuous. You know, this guy is clearly confused and not sure what is going on either. Like how he's in the house, but she's supposed to, you know, there's just a mix up in the rental arrangements or whatever. And, you kind of have to look at it as like, well, of course she should be, you know, kind of skeptical and maybe even suspicious of him and what is what is he doing here? And yet even he plays a, a little bit like, I know, I know this is weird and I know this looks suspicious and sketchy and, you know, you should be worried. Good. And tries to diffuse that. Which plays very natural, plays very real. Like, okay, well, here's two real people who just, this miscommunication happened. They're both in this home at the same time. It's not really ideal. It's not really possibly safe. So let's address it. Let's get in front of it. Let's deal with it. Like regular people. Cool. I like it. Good. And there's a moment where the film it almost becomes like the start of a, I don't know, not a romantic comedy, but of a little bit of a romantic drama, I guess. You know, the characters start to find a groove with each other and it feels like, Oh, okay. But I know this is a horror movie. So when is it going to happen? It plays against all your expectations, which is great. I mean, Bill Skarsgård is not the bad guy in this movie. I'll tell you that now, even though he played Pennywise, 
<laughs> he's not the bad guy in this movie, which is a relief because I really wanted to just to see the guy act normal. And that's what we got. And so now when the story takes a turn where the characters discover there's a room in the basement or like a hidden room in the basement. And they discover there's like a tunnel past the hidden room. And it's one of those things that it, it seems like it's out of someone's nightmare of like, oh, how do I find a room within a room? And then there's a tunnel that goes to where underground I, like that. That just doesn't seem like physically possible. You know, I'm not going to get into like urban development planning and, and all that stuff, but <laughs> it just doesn't seem like that would really happen. But at the same time, there's a moment that comes where we think we're starting to piece together like what is like why why is this room here and why is there a tunnel and who who what is going on in this house and just when we start to kind of get clues and start to see where that might be going the film totally switches gears like we just cut the black and then hey here's a whole new character and I tell you, that was one of the moments that I really had to stop and think, wait, what just happened? I was getting into some really dark, really kind of murky territory and some really weird stuff was starting to happen. And then boom, sunlight, California, cruising down the road with Justin Long. What? And so when the film does finally get Justin Long's character back to this same house, for a whole different circumstances, whole different reasons. Then the, the two threads start to tie back together. And now we see where we've, uh, where we've landed. And, and also, uh, here's one thing I, I feel like almost wasn't necessary, but I guess it helps to kind of give us some context, but there's even a, like, a, I guess a flashback to, Another character who, as as we come to understand, is the person who built this house or maybe owned this house previously. And why this room is there and why this tunnel is there and why, you know, all this weird stuff is happening in this house. We get that and I feel like, okay, well, that was good to know, but I almost would have liked to not know that. Just Just ride with these characters that we're introduced to. Because they don't know any of this. And I, I feel like, you know, speaking to, you know, something I talked about in a previous episode about the Halloween remake with Michael Myers having a backstory and seeing him as a child. And I'm like, oh, okay, that helps me understand from a human point of view, but also takes the monster out of it. And so here it's like, well, just let me have the monster. That's already scary enough. The whole premise that you've put me in is scary enough. And I didn't need to know that because our characters don't know that. The people that I rode into this saloon with, they don't know any of this. So someone's going to sit here and tell me the backstory. I almost didn't want it. But, yeah, that's my personal taste. Some people really like to have the, the whole picture. Cool. This gives you that. So I'll tell you, at least in terms of my recommendation, I recommend this one for sure. It's definitely got some surprises. If you go into this not knowing anything about what happens or what the premise is, that's probably for the best. If you watch a trailer or you read something about it, uh, you might ruin some of the experience for yourself. So go into it blind. It's okay. Do it. You'll go along for the ride. You might enjoy it. You might not enjoy it. Um, you might be disturbed by it, but uh, it'll be fun, I think. So it's a recommendation for me. And so that is Barbarian. All right. So look, there's a lot of movies about houses and the things that happen in houses and the people that end up in those houses and the people that get trapped in those houses. And, you know, I feel like there's something about that whole device that it seems pretty timeless, right? Like it's, I mean, it goes back to the early days of film, the house and somebody trapped in the house or 
something happening in a house. You know, some of these are clearly more disturbing and more gory and more violent than others. But uh, they all at least in some way take a stab at it. And if that's anything you're interested in, stories about crazy, weird, haunted houses or people that live in those houses, check these out. So, all right. That's been another episode. I'll talk to you next time. But in the meantime, you can talk to me. I send your thoughts, your suggestions. Uh, send that to comments at filmstreak.com. And if you have a film that uh, I haven't seen yet, uh, or at least I haven't talked about here, uh, let me know. And I, maybe I'll see it and we can talk about it. In the meantime, check some of these out. Um, check out the previous episodes. You can subscribe at filmstreak.com. You can see the other episodes. I also have a film streak list. Let me say it right. I have a film streak list on IMDb. So it has every one of these films I've talked about in every episode in, I think approximately the, the correct order. And so if you use IMDb that way to create a watch list or to review films or to kind of keep track of films that you like or whatever, go there, go to that list. You can add it to your watch list. You can find out where to watch it. Like if it's streaming somewhere or maybe showing in a theater, um, I use it pretty regularly. IMDb, I kind of live there. So um, that's something that might be handy for you. You can get that at filmstreak.com. All right. So in the meantime, I'm going to be here watching some more movies, and we will talk to you later. Later.